This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to NL Interviews. Hello and welcome to News Laundry Conversations. I am Chitranshu and we have with us today Lakshmi Chaudhary. We live in an age of information overload. Between alerts, notification and updates, we are constantly trying to read more news to stay informed. Yet, we know very little about what's happening or the context a story is placed in. Journalists and publishers are quite aware of this. We know readers are constantly being shouted at with information. And that's where explainers, deep dive podcasts, and curated newsletters come in. Lakshmi is just the right person to talk about this medium. She has recently launched Explainer, a newsletter plus website that aggregates, explains, and simplifies news for its readers. She has over two decades of work experience in the news ecosystem. She wrote for and edited multiple outlets in the US. After moving back to India, she co-founded First Post and later Broadsheet, which was also a newsletter. She has also co-authored a book on the Iraq war and edited another one on US election. So Lakshmi, thank you for taking up the time and welcome to News Laundry Conversations. Thank you for having me here, Chintranshu. Lovely to talk to you. Great. So first, could you tell our listeners a bit about Explainer and what it intends to do? Yeah, sure. So Splainer is, the idea is that news has become a significant pain point for people. Um, I want to go back to when I started in 2011 and I co-founded First Pulse. If you remember at that point, there wasn't much digital content in India, news content. It was primarily legacy publications, you know, dumping their stuff online. NDTV did a couple of interesting different things, thanks to Vikram Chandra. But primarily, that's what it was. So First Post really disrupts that um, ecosystem and creates this whole breaking views template. That means the moment something happens, people have opinions on it um, within hours, um, live tweeting, live blogging, all the things that sort of, you know, (laughs) well, ironically have become painful for people because now everyone is doing it and they're all doing it exactly at the same time. So... It's very, very hard unless you are actually addicted to and immersed in that ecosystem, which includes all of us, right, as journalists, Mm -hmm. for you to even figure out what is going on, what is important, what is not important, and um, why it even matters to you. I think relevance is something is not, is still missing is still missing. I think we as journalists still are not very good at explaining things or talking about things in a way that makes it easy for someone who's really not, you know, who's interested in being well-informed, wants to be well-informed, but also wants you to, you know, fix that missing, fill in that missing gap between, okay, this happened, I understand it's a big deal, I understand it's big headlines, but why do I care? You know, so... A lot of what Broadsheet started with was actually trying to fill that um, gap for women Um, because women have always been traditionally so disengaged from the media, not just in India, um, around the world. There's a pain point even in the United States. Um, They just don't read or, you know, they don't go to news sites or in, at first post, I think we had 15% women, which is considered really good. Yeah. Um, so uh, how, and it becomes, um, and, and as a feminist, I want to say, is that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that does great disservice to women. 
so then it becomes this kind of logic. Women don't read news. They don't care about the news. Ergo, women only care about fashion, beauty, you know, mommy stuff, health, etc., etc. So let's give women that. Yeah. It's clear that there is some kind of barrier that, you know, uh, keeps them um, uh, from engaging from news content. So broadsheet was really um, starts from that point, saying, how can I do this for women? But what happened is I very quickly ended up with 35% men. And mm. I was Which is quite low, given the industry average. So for, for a t- uh, product that was specifically targeted for women, I found I had 35% men. For a product that was specifically targeted for women, you know, in the early 20s, just entering the workplace to about 35, I had this huge range from, you know, college students, even some high school students, to people in their 40s and 50s. Um, so clearly with Broadsheet, uh, we developed a product that spoke to a lot of people and that included a lot of power news users. And uh, the second uh, element is, of course, the idea that um, Indians are not only interested in Indian news. I don't know why Indian newspapers, you know, continue to be so incredibly focused on only India, because for that English first audience, they are just as curious about what's something that's happening on the other side of the world right? They may not, you know, it may not be immediately as pressing as say an India-China conflict, but they do want to know and they are interested in what Trump did in Tulsa or that Djokovic um, now has COVID. So how do you take that and distill it into what really started out as weeks? said a 15 minute read where you understand the biggest stories and you feel really kind of smart and because you um, know what's going on in the world and you also know a lot of cool interesting stuff that maybe you don't you wouldn't necessarily think you'd be interested in um, mm-hmm. that stumble stumble upon effect and the, the delight of learning something quirky or weird or interesting so that's really where broadsheet started and then splainer is kind of an extension of that um it takes that and then kind of iterates it in a completely different way okay so it's 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 interesting you brought up the gap between men and women in fact uh, so i keep looking at the youtube facebook and twitter data not just among news publisher but i think in general on social platforms and on any online tool or service women are hardly represented or like their participation numbers are quite low. Now, obviously there is a representation issue. So for example, if you just talk about digital media or conventional media, women are hardly in leadership roles, even our newsrooms are predominantly male. So the gap that you see in the news consumption audience, how much do you think how media is or how much has media contributed directly to that gap given the kind of stories that we do that we market it as for women or for female audience? Well, I think it's clearly a problem of representation inside the newsroom, right? Um, I think I would put it differently. I would say there's a lot of representation of women at the junior levels where there's no decision-making. Maybe they even get into middle management in a newsroom, right? Mm -hmm. But as you go higher and higher and higher, that number shrinks to zero, right? First Post was the first, I think, first Durga was the first, who was not a relative of 
an owner of a newspaper who was running First Post, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then she was um, succeeded by me. Correct. So uh, we had a lot of women, yes, but we also had a lot of women in positions of power, right? Who were making decisions and driving First Post. And I think that's very important for people to kind of acknowledge what a break that was for you know the Indian media. Now, um, I do think that what happens is when um, you have an, men predominantly in the upper echelons and you don't really have representation of women, I don't think it's that you don't have stories about women, but I think you have stories about women that men think are important, right? And, that, and I don't mean by just shopping or whatever. So let's say even if you're a serious newsroom that seriously takes, um, takes gender rights very seriously. So you might do a whole bunch of stories about, um, you know, gender inequality in various areas, for example, um, or highlight sexual violence or sexual harassment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that's, again, kind of checking boxes. I think really what um, I'm trying to do, and especially now you can see fully in Splata, where we have an all-women newsroom, is that we're iterating news as, as, an experience, which is not something that, uh, so it's not just that women care about women issues. So if we want to talk to women, they have to talk to women about women. No, that is, that is the completely wrong insight. Mm-hmm. How do you talk about China? How do you talk about demonetization? How do you talk about, um, you know, any kind of major issue? You have to talk to, if you're talking to women who are multitasking, who have so many things going on, who are incredibly smart, they want you to talk to them in a way that makes sense, right? They have enough going on in their life that they don't have to learn your jargon, that they don't have to learn your, you know, well, if you don't understand what I'm saying in this particular article, too bad, you should have read the 30 other articles about it. Then this would make sense. I'm sorry, women don't have that kind of time or energy, right? Yeah. Or I'm, I'm not saying all women, I'm saying a lot of women, right? For whom, mm-hmm. especially for whom it's not their bread and butter to know this stuff, right? Yeah. And so if we talk to women about news, it's sort of, we, that conversational voice it, itself, you know, can I just say, it's so hard for men to even replicate that, right? Because I think men slip into this very sort of expert voice i want to say anytime they talk about an issue i mean Mm -hmm. and you know i mean i'm not knocking men at all it comes so naturally to us yes yes and i think we all suffers you know we're all sort of victims of gender you know socialization right you know because when you're talking to other men you have to sound like an expert otherwise you're not going to you know you can get pushed aside in the conversation or whatever right so you have to sound like a know-it-all so um so it's so when I talk about doing news by women, you know, for women and now for everybody, it is really a sensibility in how you even talk about big issues and how you think about them and how you offer context and yet you explain. So why did I take something that is working quite well from the point of view probably of a lot of people, which was this text and links kind of in your everything in your inbox, all text, just links. Um, very few visuals. Uh, Broadsheet did really well, I mean, in the sense of how it was appreciated and received, right? Yeah. Um, so when I, did, but when I decided to start again, 
and I didn't want to do broadsheet. Um, I wanted to say, okay, and especially I think it's important that I started in the middle of a pandemic. So I shut down March 31st, just when the, you know, lockdown starts, right? Mm-hmm. And I relaunch um, June, right? June in a way, 1st. it's also the best time because news consumption has gone through the roof in pandemic. Yes, it has. But it also has, this is what we don't realize. We just look at the numbers. News exhaustion is just around the corner. News yeah. fatigue. People are just, the news is just on getting better, Chitra and Shul. I mean, you and I feel that fatigue, I'm sure. Right? Yeah. And, and we just feel like, oh my God, why is this world a mess? Why does nothing go right? You know, you deal with one thing, then it's something else. And you have anxiety now at every level. You have anxiety. So, and news is not just something distant anymore. What, ha- what is happening out there in the headlines is going to have impact on your life, right? Immediately, yeah. very soon, right? Um, so I said, what I want to do is I want, and I said, it is going to become increasingly harder to just read story after story after story right? Even if it's great reporting, even if it's really valuable reporting, but there'll be so many of them just delivering like, okay, this happened, that happened, these people are suffering, this is how bad it is here, this is how terrible it is there. I said, how can I, without being Pollyanna-ish, without looking away from, you know, that important news, deliver an experience that is warm, that is welcoming, that doesn't feel like you're reading news, right? Yeah. Um, that feels playful, that feels visual, that you feel like um, it's almost like a magazine-like experience, but without losing the interface, the, what I say, the user interface of the newsletter, which is everything on one scroll. Now, uh, moving on, newsletters, and you, you've worked for a long time in US also, so you would know this better. Newsletters have been around for quite some time. I mm. think in many ways, the, the sort of blogging boom we had in early 2000 led to this curated, personalized newsletters. And like you mentioned, you know, overseas we have Skim, NYT Morning, NYT's Morning Brief has like millions of subscribers. In India, though, most publishers either have automated newsletters or they don't see it as an important medium. What do you think explains such disinterest for newsletters among Indian publishers? I think that was true a year ago. Um, but now, if look at Times, they have Times Top 10. They have a Times Corona newsletter that hits in the afternoon. I think uh, there are a whole bunch of publications. Now you're going to get a stream of newsletters, actually, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think now we are just at that beginning of the boom of newsletters. Everyone yeah. and their mother is trying to do newsletters now. <laughs> um, yes. But it did come late. You're right. It did come late to India because one of the ideas, one of the assumptions was, as opposed to Americans, Indians do not live in their inbox, right? They associate email with work. They don't necessarily go into their inbox multiple times. So um, a newsletter was considered far less efficient than, let's say, what Quint was doing with WhatsApp and, you know, trying to push your content out through a different delivery system that maybe, you know, Indians use more. And then, of course, WhatsApp cracked down on it and you can't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. But I would say the first fundamental reason that um, people, that big news media organizations never went is because they looked at newsletters as just another way of um, distributing their content right? Yeah. They, they see it as, so they will not link to anybody else, 
um, they will not point to something else. If they don't have the story, then it doesn't make it to that newsletter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you are just serving your the same content to your reader by alternative means, now by a newsletter as opposed to a news app or whatever else, I don't know what value that has to a reader who's suffering from the problem of volume, right? Mm. Um, they don't necessarily only want to know what's in Times of India. They don't necessarily want to know what's only in Indian Express. So the second thing is that, yes, the New York Times, but New York Times, again, is because it has such a fantastic range of um, coverage, right? Mm-hmm. Can afford to do that, point to only its own content and yet deliver a top-notch newsletter that seems to hit all the bases. This is not true now for a lot of our own publications, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the I think the other thing too is newsletters, there was never a monetization model. Um, newsletters was something that, you know, how are you going to make money? It seems too much small, too small change for a startup to say, okay, I'm going to do a newsletter. So I really think the big thing was amongst us journalists that I'm going to do, which is what Ken did and very successfully, is we are going to do long reads. We are going to do like rich journalism, right? Well reported, well researched, because everything is becoming so shallow. Let's pivot to depth. And they've done it very well. And so is Morning Context now and a whole bunch of, and I think they've also created a domino effect where you see Mint and other places also doing a lot of these kind of deep dives, right? Yeah. Um, So I think that's fantastic. But I don't think the, the insight was that you could go honestly what they would see as shallow, which is curation and explanation, right? And one explanation plus curation feels like that. How is that journalism, right? Like, that is not journalism. This is not journalism. This is just like you're just getting a bunch of links. Then you're looking at the reporting and everyone else. You're kind of putting it together, right? This is not yeah. journalism. So why would anyone who considered themselves a serious journalist want to do that until kind of I came along, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so this is not a, a cottage industry that, that uh, attracts the greatest talent typically in our industry, right? Yeah. Um, so at best you do it as a way to monetize your personal brand, which is if you have a name as a, uh, if you have a brand as a well-respected writer, then maybe you start your own newsletter uh, on Substack, right? Yeah. Um, and then you monetize that because people are basically paying to listen to you. But would you create a news product that's only a newsletter? Well, until Pin Shots really comes along, I haven't really seen a case. Um, mm-hmm. Typically, all of the others are, you know, even for um, Rohin, Rohin, right? Yeah, so, yes. I mean, BFO and Nutgraph were like, you know, verticals of new um, Ken. And now he has taken that also behind the behind paywall. The so, yes. yeah. So, but it doesn't start as a newsletter in itself. Hmm. So the idea was um, by w- newsletters seem too small an ambition in terms of a product. And certainly given that it seemed small, that it, we were very skeptical that it could ever be truly monetized. Correct, correct. Uh, do you also see this as a marker of the kind of churn that has happened in the media space? So, for example, you know, last three, four years, like you said, you uh, 
in the beginning you talked about how there's so much volume and there's so much quantity of news that is coming at, mm. at you right now. I think publishers and aggregators now also try to sort of rather than giving you more news, they also want to make an effort towards explaining or decoding stuff. I think Vox in general sort of started this entire era of explanatory journalism. I think in India, we sort of mostly wake up late later. So now Express yeah. has a Express yes. has explained vertical. Everybody is, is sort of doing that. So do you think in that aspect, newsletters fit in really well? Because it can give you a sort of a holistic overview picture and break down stuff rather than give you just like more information in your face. Yes. So I think really, so I, you know, I don't know how much, yes, it was Vox. And I think Broadsheet really is the first to come on, on the scene or maybe Finchots is before us. Honestly, I didn't discover Finchots until a year ago. Um, mm -hmm. But Finchots, uh, 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 I think Finchot is part of this company called Finception and Finception used to do, they essentially used to break up and simplify information around corporate shares and structure and they started Finchots around like a year back. So that's how it sort of came about to be. Ah, okay. So Broadsheet really is the first that comes along and does like kind of, you know, the explainer was the big, big, big kind of uh, part of our offering, right? And our USP and continues to be for me, you know, I mean, I used to write that, I write this one, so this, <laughs> so it continues to be my explainers that I write now. Mm -hmm. um, I think explanation really has become a big deal with kind of, I think, fin shorts and broadsheet and even Ken, you know, I mean, a Ken, a lot of his, yes, reporting, but a lot of Ken or the nut graph was about explaining how do things work? Why do they work the way they do? What is the context? What is the history, right? Um, whether you do it in an 8,000 word piece or whether you do it in a, you know, 1,000 word explainer, it's all, it's, it's about explanation, really. So you understand what's going on. And now you're rightly said, everyone and their mother is doing explainers. Uh, and yes, Indian Express has turned it into a vertical and others still have start, you know, so is Times, Times Top 10 is very much in that explainer mode where they take like 10 different stories and explain them more briefly to you. Yeah. Um, I do think the, ex the move towards explanation is good. But I still think there is a lot left to be desired in not the information, but the way it's written. Uh, I think mm. it continues to be written in an opaque way. It's almost, you know, I think we're a generation ingrained in bad writing habits, if I may say so. And, and, and all the things that were taught to us in J school are actually terrible for us in terms of actually communicating to people. Uh, even I have had to learn not to say, uh, if you notice that I never say, Dr. Blah, blah, blah from the Harvard Medical Blah, blah, blah. Right. Hmm. It's there in the link. If you really care which expert said it, said it, I'll say a medical expert. So, hmm. or a senior official, or if, I, if it's an unnamed source, then I'll make sure I see that. But actually, from a reader point of view, they don't need to know all that yarn. Right. So it's a, lot to do, it's a lot to do with how you communicate with the reader also. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, I'm piggybacking on the fact that the information is available in a news article. So I'm not knocking that. Yeah. I'm just saying, but when you do the explain, when you talk about something, um, a good explainer is not easy to do, Chitranshul. Yeah, you yeah. Have to, 
you have to first start from the person you're talking to right so yeah. for example today we did that thing about the gem right the government e-commerce portal I can't tell you how many stories I had to search before someone actually yes. explained it to me. I said, "Ye kya hota hai?" He said, "What is this thing?" Can In you fact, yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, that was one of the question I had down because I write a newsletter on 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 media, and mm. while a large chunk of it is essentially the linking out business, like the first five hundred words is it's like a take or a commentary on something that has happened. Now. i in general struggle a lot so i have to like it takes me very long so for example uh when the entire fracas uh, with the tom cotton op-ed happened mm. in new york times now mm. i just wanted to write a newsletter that sort of gives you a preview on arguments from both sides even mm. to do that i had to read for at least two straight days read yes. what the arguments are on the site and say sign and i've said explainers are almost triple the size of what i ever write so i i in fact i wanted to ask how big is your team and how much do you guys spend in one newsletter given that it's a daily thing yeah so look um it is the actual team is only three people the news team itself is only two there's only me and sunana right with broadsheet um there was only me and sunena joined in october but until october of last year it was only me and now there the two of us uh, adya is um uh, you know she's like a assistant news editor she she does the other stuff she does, she's a recent vassar grad and um, the other two fantastic women uh, deepika and ishita <laughs> one is a, a recent iit mumbai grad and the other one is is getting ready to go to do a mba so they're really uh, former supporters of broadsheet who kind of reached out and said they wanted to be part of my new venture and help out before they move on to other things um mm-hmm. and so in terms of the actual news it's the two of us and i have to say with a newsletter chitranjul it's not the size of your newsroom it's the quality of your newsroom um mm-hmm. and i'll talk more about that when we talk about the business model but uh, we think of newsrooms in terms of again volume right if you're successful yeah. then you have more and more people you hire more and more people actually a newsletter is never going to need huge numbers of people mm. it just needs the right kind of people right correct yeah so you don't need hazar news deskies you don't need hazar producers or assistant and associate and um a sports editor and a this editor and a that editor you yeah. just need very good quality uh, and suited for that particular newsletter whoever it is that's uh, it's okay. targeted to and what what is in there Yeah. So going to the business model, unlike broadsheet, you have a subscription model this time. So hmm. a my question is in two part. A, what were the challenges that you faced with broadsheet that sort of helped you fine tune explainer? And secondly, so you wrote explainer uh, for such a long time. If you are writing for a product that you know is a subscription based product do you approach it differently or has your approach been exactly the same so my learning from broadsheet was you can't uh launch a product that's in search of a business model right mm-hmm. um i don't regret doing broadsheet i have great love for broadsheet but broadsheet like i said was just based on an insight and um and an intuition right 
that there was this gap and that if you did news in a particular way, it will work for women. And we never really had any revenue model, <laughs> but, but the, uh, that product was supposed to be some initial product. And then we would build a you know, club around it and an online forum for women around it or whatever it was, right? And yeah. the thing that took off was the product and that the product actually had a broad, broad appeal. It wasn't just for women. It was speaking mm. to men just as well, right? Yeah. So, but the the problem was that we had not approached that product in that way for at least more than a year, thinking we can monetize it. So if you can, so if you're going to monetize it, what are you going to do? I either you have to have like insane growth numbers, right, for that newsletter. Mm-hmm. Um, which means you can go to a brand, which we didn't, right? Because we didn't really have a growth strategy. It was purely organic growth and fantastic referrals and great love. And so we had a very, very great, great subscriber list. But it was still about 8,000, right? Yeah. At the time it shut down, which is not good as you know, as anyone from the business, if you've been in business for like 18 months, you should not be at 8,000, right? Yeah. Um, for a free product, man, that's terrible. The second was that then it became a kind of identity confusion is like, is this going to be our only product? Is that what we're going to want? And, you know, which all of, all of the things that kind of uh, snowballed into a founder split where we went our separate ways because, you know, we couldn't, we weren't really on the same page. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I started again, I said, I was also starting in the middle of a pandemic, right? So who, which fool is going to put money in the media right now? And uh, uh, it was quite a short window, right? Like I think explain when was explain uh, sorry when was broadsheets last edition? Thirty first March, and I started again on June first. Ah, uh, yeah. So that was quite a small window to sort of ready a product. Or had had you been working on explainer for quite some time? No, no. I think that's where the lockdown really helped. Um, <laughs> I think I'd been I'd been thinking about things, you know, but not really had the time or energy or the bandwidth to actually sort of say, okay, what have I learned? How can I apply it, right? And actually, I, that the month of April was really valuable for me. I just, you know, sat around and thought. <laughs> Literally, mm-hmm. that's all I did, which is not a luxury I'd had for nearly two years, right? Yeah. Um, and so, Spina comes from that, and I and and these are things that occurred to me I said look um, I believe in the content right that I had created that I can create I believe it has enough value and I don't care who tells me what that it's too shallow it's only this who will pay for it there are plenty of people lots of naysayers who said that to me right Um, I believe people will pay for it and I believe people will support it because I know the kind of relief that people felt when they read my writing over the two years at Broadsheet. I lost count of how many people said, oh, thank you for doing this. I have been in many news organizations. No one in the US and India, no one has ever thanked me for doing my job. (laughs) I think that that also has a lot to do as to how media organizations worked fairly because essentially there was very little interaction. I think when like the digital ecosystem sort of happened, it enabled that also that there, like there was an interactional relationship between a reader and say a writer and an editor, which sort of didn't exist yeah. in newspapers. Yeah, but I think also it's about like they wrote in before we even talked to them. We were only talking to them. I was only talking to them through broadsheet, right? Mm-hmm. They hadn't had five conversations with me before they said thank you. 
Yeah. That is the opening gambit, right? And now there's so many people who are just like, oh, thank you for coming back. Oh my God, I've been miserable for two months, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so that was so that was one that I, the, there was real value. Um, mm. And for the person who actually consumes it, you know, I'm not particularly interested in the value or the worth that my peers in the industry put on something I produce, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not do. I never did broadsheet for my peers. I mean, not that I don't have the greatest respect for them, but journalists news news business has its own set of like standards and criteria as to what is valuable, what is real journalism, what is important, what is serious. You know, what you yeah. can ask money for, what you can't ask money for. I don't care. I start from my audience, right? From the person who's actually reading me or. Um, actually saying, okay, fine, I will give 100 rupees for this. I will give 1000 rupees for this. So how can I build value? So which is also why I didn't want to do broadsheet. Hmm. So now this is where everything comes together. I'm, I'm launching in the middle of pandemic. What is a person feeling at this point? They're feeling exhausted. They're feeling anxious. You know, they feel like they have to know what's going on because it's so important and urgent. And yes, they're feeling this sense of fatigue and anxiety. How can I create, you know, how can I take all the good stuff that was really valuable, that I know was valuable for my readers, and you know, when I did broadsheet, how can I take that and iterate it in different ways, make it more interesting, make it more warm, make it more playful? How can I make it not feel like news, right? Yeah. Um, so I would argue, and I trust me, I get a lot, I get some pushback and I particularly get pushback from people who men who read broadsheet and are a little you know who are par news users really like you know strategy and things like that yeah, um, yeah. or uh, people who really love Substack, right hmm. my mentors does and he's fantastic um saying why would you do this right um as in why would you do this as in like why did you not just put it on Substack or like or huh, why wouldn't i just put it on Substack? why didn't i just stick to the text and uh, links model, right? Mm-hmm. With a couple of images thrown in, right? Yeah. yeah. And I said, no, I said, I want to focus on how I make the person feel. How do you feel when you get, you know, the email notification in the morning? How do you feel when you click on it? How do you feel when you go through it? The dog is there for a reason. The dog is not yeah. accidental, right? So how, first of all, how many news sites have a dog? <laughs> I have to say I'm very yes. proud of the dog but the dog is like part of like saying this is this is you know this is about something that is like um, that is a nice safe welcoming place to be right but the more important part about the dog is that it allows you to be drive your own experience of that edition right so yeah. you can go anywhere you want you don't have to scroll you don't have to like painfully look for what you want you can jump up and down go to the middle, go to the end, go to the top, do whatever you want, right? Yes. Um, there's a reason why there are sanity breaks. Why do I call it a sanity break? Because I know you've probably gone through the explainer and it's been brutal, right? And you just want to take a little breath and enjoy something. Um, mm. So I think what I would describe explainer as is a unique news product that's driven by user experience. Um, how can I get you the best possible information in a way that you experience it, that the experience is pleasant, 
And maybe, so, you know, even fun or playful. And I don't think a single editor or new journalist thinks about it that way. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's an interesting thought to chew on. So there is a lot of focus on creating an experience. So it's a conscious sort of a conscious strategy to not overwhelm or make the user or the reader more anxious. So I think so. So that way, launching it in a pandemic sort of fits in into how Splainer has been built up and yes. what the focus is. So, so that's a very interesting thought for other media publishers yes. and strategists. And, 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 and I think all of us have to think about that seriously, Chitra. I'm sure life is not going to get better for a couple of years now. Hmm. It is not. Things things are hard. And yes, I'm not saying there's not going to be a recovery or whatever. But the road to recovery is long. And it is hard, right? Yeah. So all of us have to get through it. Mm -hmm. And how do we get through it in a way without looking away? Because if you do not make it something that is, because people are tired, they're struggling to pay their bills, they're worried about their future, um, they're going through their own sense of anxiety about their health or health of loved ones. If we make it feel like a slog and if we make it feel like, you know, hey, you better do this, um, the thing is, people will at some point, and I wouldn't blame them, start to look away and say, you know what? I mean, if it's if you're going to tell me the same damn thing every every day, right? Why yeah. should I keep reading this? Because it's. I mean, have you seen every advisory for mental health about the pandemic? Hmm. Limit news consumption. Limit yeah. news consumption. Limit news consumption. Check it once a day. Check it once a day. Don't do this over and over again. Turn off your news apps. Turn off. Doctors are saying consume less news because it's bad for you. So I think as journalists to sort of happily put out those advisories and, you know, articles that include those advisories <laughs> and things are hard, they don't apply to us. I think we need to think deeply about are we really there? Um, or are we sort of saying, well, you better know about this. And if you don't want to know about this, and you know, you're a jerk. Right. Yeah. Or you clearly want to be ignorant. Um, I think yeah. this is a time for some compassion and empathy from our, on our and part. I think especially in today's ecosystem, when, a, when more and more publishers are sort of going to the reader or subscription-led route, it's a, it's, it's a thought that we should have. Because if a, if a news fatigue is kicking in and we are already losing readers and news consumers, it's not going to bode well in the long run for all the subscription outlets like News Laundry. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have a news consumer or a reader engaged with us, he or she is not going to pay us at the end of every month. No. And the thing is, if she or he associates you with like feeling bad, it's human. They're, you know, people are human beings. They're not any different from us, right? Mm -hmm. Um so I'm not saying that news laundry or the Hindu or whatever should become like this, oh, you know, warm, cuddly, it's all good. I'm just saying that maybe the way we present, uh, the way the, you know, they interact with us, like, for example, news laundry has this lovely, you know, you mm. have your lovely sabki uh, dulai, right? It makes you laugh. I love yeah. it, right? So it's not just... So no one is saying that people only want good news, but they also want to laugh, you know, and it's mm -hmm. not just women. I've had men write in and say, please put more funny stuff in, right? <laughs> yeah. It's so exhausting right now. So I think it's okay. And it also helps us, I think, as a profession to take ourselves a little less seriously. 
to say that we always our job is to you know to be like Moses who went up to the mountain and comes back hmm. bearing fairly bad news. Thank you, Lakshmi, for taking up the time and doing this. Listeners, do check out Explainer and subscribe to them. Their website is www.splainer.in, which is S P L A I N E R. Their subscriptions start from 100 rupees a month. So if you like what Lakshmi and her team is doing, do subscribe and support them. If you're a news laundry reader or a listener, you know how important it is to pay for news for it to stay free of any corporate or government influence. This conversation is part of a larger piece we are doing on newsletters in Stop Press. For those of you who may not know, Stop Press is our weekly part column, part newsletter. to help you track the media ecosystem and make sense of it do check it out and subscribe at www.stoppress.substack.com thank you see you next time until then pay to keep news free all the news laundry podcasts are available on stitcher itunes and any other podcast platform please subscribe to news laundry help us keep news independent Catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs, and sport. Visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel.